today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. I want to talk about electric vehicles. I know we've had this discussion on the, on the show in the past, but uh, there's a new wrinkle to this now. Canada now has a new goal for when it wants to see more electric vehicles on the roads. Now, the uh, government announced initially a target of about 2040 uh, to get all light-duty vehicles sold in this country, being EVs by 2040. But, yeah, last week, rather, Transportation Minister Omar Gabra announced that they're speeding that up by five years. By 2035. All new cars and light-duty trucks sold in Canada will be zero-emission vehicles, 100% of them. Well, as I mentioned on my commentary day 10 this morning on CHML, uh, I'm not so sure they've thought this out. Uh, uh, what happens in Southern California, what works in Southern California, doesn't necessarily work in Canada. Uh, there's a number of things that, that we need to talk about that need to be clarified about EVs and their effectiveness and, and their availability, frankly. There's a fabulous op-ed piece in the uh, Globe and Mail by Eric Ugulli, who's the European Bureau Chief for the Globe and Mail, uh, mentioning some of these things. And uh, I think they're all legitimate criticisms or at least questions that need to be asked answered. To uh, help us along here, Marvin Ryder, business professor at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University, joins us. Uh, Marvin, thanks for the time. Great to have you with us today. Glad to be with you, Bill. Uh, on a conceptual basis, I understand where they want to go here. You know, we need to start finding alternative sources of energy, uh, fossil fuels, etc. We, we get all that, and I, I think we've debated that uh, for years now. Uh, and moving to EV may make an awful lot of sense to people, but uh, I'm sure you saw the piece in the Globe and Mail. Uh, Mr. Rooley, I think, lays out some rather interesting questions that need to be asked about this, about uh, whether or not going totally electric is actually the best thing for us here in Canada. Right. And, and of course, uh, just to get a little more attention, he's described this goal as being delusional, delusional. The government has delusions here. Bill, uh, before we get to, to his comments, can I just say that one of the things that always worries me in this debate is that we are talking in 2021 about a goal in 2035. If you can just think back two years ago, if we had this conversation, you'd never heard of COVID. And a year ago, you'd never heard of a COVID vaccine. Thanks to science and technology, problems of one year can be resolved in relatively short order. And so I worry a little bit when we have this discussion that people are thinking about the electric vehicles of 2021 and then layering that on the world of 2035 rather than realizing, take cell phones as a great example, what 14 years of technological innovation can do as we go. So that worries me a little when he describes this all as delusional. And that's a very fair point. You can't apply today's technology to what's going to happen in the future, as we've seen with some of the things that have gone on. Uh, and, and maybe Mr. Raguli is doing that to a certain extent. Uh, but we don't know the answers to these. I mean, if, if somebody from the industry or certainly from somebody from government uh, could address some of these things, but they don't seem to do it. They simply want to talk about this at the 50,000-foot level, that this will be great for the planet and great for the environment. Uh, and I get that point. But as uh, Mr. Raguli points out, uh, these are not zero emission situations. Uh, he makes the point, I want to address this one first of all, I guess, Marvin, uh, that, okay, fine, maybe the, the, the vehicle itself is not going to be emitting, uh, you know, bad stuff into the environment, uh, but it's going to be relying on electricity, and we still use an awful lot of, of those same things that we want to get rid of to produce electricity, and, and therein lies some of the problem here, that uh, uh, what was the number here? 19% of Canada's electricity comes from coal, natural gas, and oil, so are we increasing the, their contribution to you know the the bad environmental issues that we're dealing with uh at the cost of saying well now i'm driving an electric vehicle somebody's got to plug it in right 
Yeah, so let me just restate that for you, Bill. Are we just swapping one kind of clean yeah. technology for another? Sure, we're not burning gasoline. Oh, we're burning electricity. But if we have to burn oil and natural gas to get that electricity or coal to get that electricity, what have we really gained? And here's a, here's a great example of how this problem varies by province. In Ontario and Quebec, 95% of the power today in 2021 is generated cleanly, i.e. no carbon dioxide emissions, whether that's nuclear or hydro, which is generated from water or solar or wind, none of that. However, that's not the same case everywhere. So yes, today in Alberta, uh, they burn coal, Saskatchewan burns coal, New Brunswick burns coal. Now, all three of those provinces have said that they are shall I use the word, investigating ways to change their electricity generation. Uh, Jason Kenney, the premier of Alberta, walks a very fine line. He doesn't want to be seen as anti-carbon fuels, and yet even he realizes they've got to look at cleaner sources as they go. So I, I actually think this is a bit of a straw dog, that by the year 2035, 14 years from now, how we generate electricity, I think, is going to be quite a bit different. I think the better argument, uh, I'll call it his third argument, is is there enough electrical generating capacity? Uh, yes. And uh, that, that, again, varies province by province. Now, Bill, it wasn't that long ago that in Ontario, you might remember electricity prices were going up, distribution costs were going up, and we had a lot of seniors talking about heating or eating and so on and so forth. The, the biggest problem we have in Ontario is we actually have too much generating capacity. Just to give you an example, and I don't want to get too technical on all this here today, uh, we, can, we can generate roughly 40,000 megawatts of electricity on a typical uh, afternoon, let's say. Uh, and at the peak this year, we only consumed 22.2 megawatts. 22.2,000 megawatts of electricity. So what happens is we've got all of this generating capacity, but we can't sell this electricity. So those people actually have to pay more for electricity to cover the electricity we're not using. Our peak usage of electricity in this province, in Ontario, actually happened way back in 2000. And even though we have more people living here today, our consumption has gone down thanks to various conservation moves and more efficient what have you. So I'm not saying he's false. I don't know, and I haven't actually seen the calculation as to how much electricity we're going to need if we all move to electric vehicles by 2035. But at least in Ontario, we have the extra capacity. Now, again, those people who want to be critical... Uh, California is a state that does have a problem, has a large, large, large population. And right recently we've been having a heat wave, and they've been having some brownouts because clearly they don't have enough electrical generating capacity. Now, the idea that people will plug in their vehicles overnight when demand tends to fall, that's a great concept, but we don't live our lives strictly as a nine-to-five basis. Lots of people work jobs elsewhere. So it's a legitimate question that we have to investigate but then I'll flip that around. How much electricity does a car need? Again, if we look at the 2021 vehicles, they'll probably be quite different in 2035. I would just look at computers. The amount of electricity a computer consumes today is less than it did 20 years ago.
Well, there's been advancements in just about every... There's been advancements in the burning of fossil fuels, too. I mean, you know, the vehicle I'm driving today is much more efficient than right. the one that I had 10 years ago. Uh, and that's going on. It, uh, by the way, if we could just, you know, if, uh, beat our chest for a second, a lot of that research is happening at McMaster uh, at the Automotive Center uh, down on Longwood Road, which is great news. And that's... I get that. But the concern here, and you mentioned what, what happened in California, same thing happening in, in Alberta last week with that terrible heat wave that they had, uh, where the government actually issued a, a proclamation said please don't plug in your cars because we need it for air conditioning and you know with global warming and temperatures rising like this air conditioning is going to become more of a feature and maybe more of a burden on the on the system i uh, you and i remember the what was it 2003 2004 uh, that huge blackout we had in ontario that lasted off and on for about four days scared the daylights out of everybody and and uh, thank god it was that long ago but you always wonder are, are we going to you know put that much pressure on the system right now and and find ourselves back in that circumstance and I, I, the reason I'm asking because I don't know the answer. Yeah, well, it's that very blackout that you talk about that led the Ontario government, and and this goes back to the Dalton McGuinty days to really expand generating capacity. Every study we saw back in 2004, five said we're going to hit hit the wall on this. We're going to have an electricity shortage. We need to generate more. What nobody had taken into consideration was the power of conservation and the power of technological innovation. So that in fact today. As I say, Ontario consumes less electricity today than it did 20 years ago, even with a bigger population. Mr. Reguli has a third comment, of course, is the cost of the vehicles. And he's looking at electric vehicles today, and they are more expensive than gasoline-powered vehicles. Ha-ha, how are the poor going to survive? How are the little guys going to survive if they have to spend an arm and a leg for their car? And again, you and I have had this conversation today in Canada. Only 3% of the vehicles being sold are uh, electrical vehicles. Mm -hmm. The rest of them are gasoline-powered. So we don't have something we talk about in business a lot, which is called economy of scale. You know, when you're only producing a small quantity, the price per unit tends to be higher than when you ramp up. And on that front, you know, the Canadian government reversing its or, or amending its stance to go from 2040 to 2035 is actually just reflecting what they're being told by the auto industry itself. Ford, GM, Chrysler have all announced that by 2030, not 2035, 2030, they're going to be only making electrical vehicles, at least in terms of light-duty cars and trucks. They probably will still have road graders and and uh, you know dump trucks run on on gasoline. But in terms of the kind of vehicles you and I drive, so really, when the government says 2035, I don't view it as much of a stretch goal because that seems to be what the auto industry is planning to do anyway. And then if that's a hundred percent of their production, you want to believe those costs will come down. Well, yeah, not, and that's a point well taken. I mean, not everybody's going to buy a Tesla. Uh, you know, Ford, everybody is making these things because they're anticipating this is happening. So I'm sure there's going to be a range of prices. But he also talks about uh, the materials that go into this, cobalt, right. uh, copper, lithium, nickel, among other things, and saying the price of those is going up. Is that going to be a factor in the price of the, uh, the, the vehicle? Right, and that, again, that's a good question to know, and one that really is unknown. The, the, again, the way we make cars today involve a certain set of materials, once upon a time, uh, and I'll, I'll admit being the old guy here, Bill, I'll let you off the hook, but I can remember when vehicles Thank were you. mostly made of steel, yep. uh, good, heavy Canadian steel made here in Hamilton. Well, today they've diversified, and they make use of plastics and aluminum, still have steel in there, but not 100% the way they once did. 
And, and what I again know about science and automotive research is they are constantly looking at new kinds of materials, carbon fibers and things that were unimaginable 20 years ago are becoming more the norm. And I, I just don't know what we're going to do 20 years from now. So it's a good question to ask, but I wouldn't be afraid of it because I think uh, science has shown us and technology has shown us they can find workarounds as they go. We don't know the answer today, but we've got 15 years to find it. And, and I'm also concerned, and you and I have talked about this in the past, and you know, this is a big country, and we drive a lot. I know he talks toward the end of the article about, hey, we don't need more cars, we need more efficient electric uh, you know, public transit, right. uh, which isn't going to work. I mean, if I want to go to Blue Mountain, I'm not going to take a bus, I'm not going to take a train, I'm going to drive. Uh, and you know, is that two-and-a-half-hour drive going to become three-and-a-half-hour drive if I have to stop halfway and recharge? Right. So uh, let me just say that Mr. Reguli is based, I think it's in Rome, He's the yeah. European bureau chief there. And, and certainly in big cities, I think the strategy is going to be to tell people who live in those cities, do you really need a car on a day-to-day -day basis? Can we create a network of public transit that will let you live your life on a day-to-day -day basis without necessarily having a car? And certainly if you look at downtown Toronto, there are lots of people who live there who have abandoned the ownership of a car. Instead, their model is, well, yes, if I want to go to Blue Mountain this weekend, I'll rent a car just for this weekend and go up there. Otherwise, on a day-to-day -day basis, I have moved away. So again, I get his point that you know if we can in cities, making transit more possible. But Canada is the second largest country in the world in terms of area. We're second only to Russia, and yet we have a really tiny population. As, as big as it may seem now as we knock on the door of 38 million, we have great swaths of this country that have virtually nobody living in it. And so if I want to go from, let's say, here to Thunder Bay, you know, I suppose I could fly. But also, as we've discovered with COVID, discovering our country and seeing it face-to-face -face, live is nice. And you're absolutely right. Today, the distance between charges is roughly 500, 600 kilometers. And when I do need a charge, it's going to take me 10, 15, 20 minutes to do so. Boy, that could really lengthen a coast-to-coast -coast travel. I've said for some time there's two things that have to happen for electric vehicles to become my choice. The first is a bigger distance between charges, more on the order of 600, 700 kilometers between charges, but even more importantly, faster charging. The same way I charge my vehicle today by pulling into a gas station, three minutes later I'm back on the road. We've got to get that way to pour electrons into our tanks. But again, we've come so far so fast, I think in another 15 years all of that is possible. Good to ask the questions, but let's also keep a possible open mind to all of where we're going. Uh, one of my other concerns, of course, is once the battery is, is gone, it's gone. I mean, you don't recharge that battery, uh, and so that's the end of its life. I mean, it, where are the batteries going to go? Uh, is the vehicle going on the scrap heap? Those are all concerns. But I, I have about a minute left, and I wanted to get your opinion on this. Is the fact that it seems, Marvin, that it's the industry that's driving this, is that going to uh, accelerate some of the technologies that you've just talked about and some of the improvements? Yeah, absolutely. This would be quite a different story if Ford, Chrysler, GM were saying, we don't want to go there. We want to only make gas-powered vehicles. You're forcing us to do something we don't want to do. Well, then they're not going to invest in the research and technology. You're sort of dragging them to the trough. The fact that this is someplace they want to go, they're going to be spending this money and doing this regardless. 
to your point, by the way, with Bill, with those batteries, yeah, uh, certainly lithium-ion batteries, you can recharge them and recharge them up to a point, and then eventually they do have to be replaced. That is not an inexpensive proposition. But, dear God, please let us get out of our mind that we're going to throw all of that away. Today, more and more batteries are recyclable. You send them back, they can find a way to make them work. So uh, I think in designing these new cars, they're also going to design a recyclability into this uh, that's going to make it even less wasteful as we go. Well, I'm reassured now because I know that as you and I are having this conversation, somebody someplace is working on all this stuff. So uh, maybe this is all a moot point. We'll see what happens. Marvin, thanks so much for this as always. Appreciate the time. Pleasure talking, Bill. Take care. Marvin Ryder from the Degree School of Business, Epic Master. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.